Well, we are continuing in our Meet Jesus series and we're in chapter 3. So last week Daniel spoke to us about Jesus meeting with Nicodemus. And now continuing on, we're at John 3 verse 22, heading into chapter 4. So I'm going to read to us from the New Living Translation. John 3 verses 22 all the way into chapter 4. Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan, the one you identified as the Messiah, he's also baptizing people and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater. And I must become less and less. He has come from above. He is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God and he speaks God's words, for God gives him the spirit without limit. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's judgment. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea. And he returned to Galilee. Welcome, Aaron. Just pray for you quickly as you get set up there. Lord, we thank you for Aaron. We thank you for the Antonucci family. And we thank you for the preparation and the process she's been engaged in with your word. And we just ask for your your strengthening, your peace, and your joy to fill her and your grace upon her to speak your words to us this morning. Amen. Thank you, Jason. Good morning, I've had a wonderful couple of months sitting in this passage and it has been such a joy for me to experience Jesus in this way. When I first read this, I was like, how on earth does one expect me to speak for that long on this passage? I have no idea what I'm going to say. I'll give you five minutes, but God in his absolute grace is the revealer of good things. So I promise this week there'll be no pericarditis, no ambulances, no peri-peri chicken from Nando's. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, listen to what Daniel spoke about last week and you'll understand. But 
Daniel laid a great foundation last week um, with the help of the Holy Spirit just to put into context what Jesus is doing and where we are going. And Daniel went into Nicodemus and what um, this conversation that Nicodemus had with Jesus. And he came and Daniel's question to us was, have you been born again? It's a conversation of two experts. And that was Daniel's lasting question to us. Have you been born again? So it's my desire this morning that Jesus would be revealed to you through this scripture, through this passage, and I need the help of the Holy Spirit. So I ask Holy Spirit that he would just come and settle in this place. Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to us. So we follow on from where Daniel spoke of last week. We're continuing in chapter 3. And he spoke of that great verse of John 3.16, for God so loved, for God so loved. And this passage follows on from that, for God so loved that he gave. So we're going to introduce this morning Jesus, our bridegroom God. This was John's experience in this passage. This is how John saw him and how he knew Jesus. And I pray that this is what you take away from this morning as well. I know it's what I have taken away from this passage. And this section of scripture starts with John's testimony again of Jesus. And I think that's a very fitting introduction. So we follow on from Nicodemus and his conversation with Jesus. And Jesus leaves they were in Jerusalem for the Passover season. Jason touched on this as well when he spoke about the temple being a resting place. It was Passover. And then Jesus has his conversation with Nicodemus about being born again. Where is your heart? Do you know the Father's heart for you? And Jesus travels. If we could have the map up, Liz. Jesus is now traveling. John's not with him. We've got Jesus. Jerusalem's down the bottom. Hope you can see that. And he's traveling from there. And he's traveling up to Anon, which is further up north there. It's an estimated place, but it's along the Jordan River somewhere. So John's already up there in Anon. And Jesus and his disciples are leaving Jerusalem and traveling up that way. Interesting that they're heading to a river to take part in baptism after a conversation about being born again. But this isn't just a trip down the road. It's not like walking from here to South Beach, which is, you know, two k's away. This is over 100 kilometers away. It's like walking from here to, I don't know, Pemberton or something, or from here to Two Rocks, Lanceland. It's it's not just a stroll down the road. This is a, um, a a long walk. It would have taken about two days by foot, three days in the heat. So it's not just like a stroll down the road. It's actually a a fair walk, and I wonder what kind of conversations they would have had along the way. And as we, and as Jesus reaches the river, it says that they take part in baptizing. John is already there baptizing, and Jesus comes with with his disciples, and they're having a conversation. And Jesus is also baptizing in a slightly different part of the river. It's not like they're side by side or next door; they're in slightly different, but in the same in the same region in the Jordan River. And this conversation breaks out between um, John's disciples and John, and they come up to him, starting at verse 25. 
And it says a debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah is also baptizing people and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. Now, ceremonial washing was uh, quite a large part of the Jewish culture. There was different kinds of washings for different kinds of things. There was just the hand washing. There was full body cleansing. um, And they represented different things and were for different reasons. It's a wonderful thing to go into if you ever want to. It's a wonderful thing to look into. I highly recommend it. But for John, his focus was the baptism of repentance It was a thing that was done in the temple, but now he was doing it out in the Jordan River. Do you have something in your life, like John, that you take great pride in? Something that you're known for? My husband, he's the one who brings the fish. If you need fish, want to talk about fish, want any information about fish, you go to my husband. If someone else brings the fish... No, that doesn't happen. Tony brings the fish. That is what he's known for. And this was John's thing. He had this, I wouldn't call it a niche market, but he, his, his conversation was about, and he taught about the baptism of repentance. Now, on the surface, this seems like a very simple conversation, a very um, innocent, you know, John's disciples coming up to him, but I want to delve a bit deeper into what they might be actually saying. And I'm extrapolating a little bit here, but this is how the conversation goes in my head. In John's context, hey, John, you, John the Baptist, the baptizer, you're the one who's been doing all these baptisms. It's your thing to do. But now Jesus, have you heard Jesus over there? He's on the other side of the river. He's also baptizing. He's getting more followers than you are. John, you're the one who pointed him out. You're the one who stood here and said he's the Messiah. But now people are leaving you, John, and going to him. You're not as important anymore. He's better than you at this. Your ministry doesn't matter as much. People aren't noticing you like they once did. That's my interpretation, but I wonder if that might have been what the disciples were thinking. I'm sure the disciples aren't the only ones who have ever felt like this or felt the sting of comparison, not feeling good enough, feeling like a failure, or feeling the waves of fear rushing over them. From a personal context, I've been at New Life for more than 20 years and I remember when the prayer room first opened. We're at 177 South Terrace, down in the heart of Frio, where parking was really hard. (laughs) Had to go up those skinny little stairs. But we ended up establishing, because God said, um, a prayer room in that space. It wasn't specifically built as a prayer room, but in, correct me if I'm wrong, 2005, um, we called our, God directed us to call the first sacred assembly as a community. It was a call to set time apart and pursue God. Now it was it was new, it was novel, it was this, it was a word from God and there was such an excitement in the air. And it was a call to set time apart. It was the middle of winter. 
at that time I was single, I worked full time and relatively an easy and exciting thing to be able to do. So we started and there was a lot of us who were single and working full time and it was very easy to do it as part of a large group. Yep, all my friends are doing. We're all going to go to the prayer room together on, you know, Wednesday night and it was all us 20 something year olds with nothing else really holding us back and um and it was a very exciting time to spend this time set apart for God. So I was like, yep, I'm going to do the right thing. We've been told by Wen and Julie, this is what God wants. And we're going to take my Bible and I'm going to go sit in the prayer room. And dangerous thing when you say yes to God sometimes because you don't know what he's going to do. For me, when I got there, my main point of being there was, yes, I'll be obedient and I'll check this box. I will turn up, I will show up, I will sit in my seat, I will read my Bible and I will do the good expected thing that we're meant to do. I will sit by myself, I will journal, I will spend time with God, but don't expect me to do it with other people. Do I want to contribute to anything? No. Do I want to pray in a microphone? No. Do I want to do small group prayer? No. No, no, no. I come here to spend time with God, not with other people. So I'd happily sit in my chair, tick my box, yep, prayer room time. I filled out my schedule on the form. Yes, I rocked up and I came. But there was something that was holding me back. I was happy to pursue God on my own. That's fine. I can sit in my chair and do that. But to take part and do it with other people? Um, no, I don't think so. I would sit there and I would look at everyone else and think, I can't do it like them. This was 16 years ago and still feels, <laughs> and I can still feel it. I can't do it like them. I would sit back and look at everyone else and think, if I go pray in the microphone, I will sound funny and I'll only have one sentence to give. Compared to everyone else, I sound so foolish and immature. This is when comparison felt the loudest in my brain and the lies and the fear would overtake and overwhelm so much because I thought what I had to bring had to be perfect and I had to stand up to everything else. And instead of having my gaze set upon God and giving him what he'd already given me, I felt so overwhelmed by the comparison I made up in my head. It wasn't real, but I made it up and it felt real. And I tell you what, it becomes so tired and draining by not living in a place that's authentic and hiding in fear. And I didn't know it at the time, but this is the question that I feel like God had posed to me. And I posed you this morning. Am I living a life that is crippled by comparison? Or am I anchored and liberated by God's desire for me? It is a question that we are faced with every single day. If you're sitting here and you don't struggle with comparison maybe ask again. So how do we go from a life crippled by comparison to a life in which we are anchored and liberated by God's love for us? So here we see John. He's baptizing by the river. He's with his disciples and they come to him with this struggle. Rabbi, teacher, people say that more people are going to Jesus and being baptized. Look, John, the one that you prophesied about. People are going to him and he is baptizing more than you are. The disciples even heard the declaration that John made 
that's Jesus. That's the Messiah. Yet they were still caught in this trap of not fully understanding what that meant. But I love John's response in this. I don't know if I could give the same response. But it reveals how he knew God and it shows how his heart was was um, positioned. There's a wonderful thing in life when we're challenged or put under pressure and the true, the true condition of our hearts is, comes out. And the temptation is here. John has a choice. He can either listen to and give in to what the disciples are saying and come under the weight of comparison or he can choose to be anchored in the truth of who God says that God is. And because of the revelation that John had, because he knew who John was, he could respond like this in verse 27. No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you. I am not the Messiah. I am here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and I must become less and less. I love how John states this truth outright. He can stand there in the midst of opposition and say, no, I know who God is and I know who I am. All that has been given to me, everything that I know, everything that I do has been given by the one in heaven. You've heard me say I'm not the Messiah. These people who are with me are the bride. And that one over there on the other side of the river who's got more followers than me, that is the bridegroom. And this is why I was sent. This is what has been given to me. I am the friend of the bridegroom and I have been asked to point the bride to the bridegroom. He knew who he was and he knew who God was. Therefore, he could be full of joy. And I loved it how Nathan just put it. Joy is not happiness. Joy is an anchoring in the identity of God that can be unmoved. It's actually a fruit of the spirit. And because I am filled with joy, he is here. Jesus is here and the bride must go to him. If Jesus is here, yes, his response is yes, I will decrease because Jesus must increase. I feel like John's position is, is standing there going, take my ministry, have it, don't care, it's not mine, given to me from heaven, he can take it. Take my friends, you can take all my followers, I don't really care about my status anymore. I have everything because I know who I am in Jesus. And this is John's reality. This is what comes from his lips. And when people question what he is doing and the validity of what he is doing, he can stand there and speak this truth. So why could John testify to this? How is it that he became so confident in who bridegroom Jesus was? We know, looking back at the first chapter of Luke, we know that the revelation of Jesus was first given to John right back while he was a human in his mother's womb. And Mary and Elizabeth had a conversation. They met up 
And the text says that when Mary spoke, John reacted to being near Jesus. There was a Holy Spirit moment there where the identity of uh, Jesus was revealed to John. But as he grew, though, John had to make a very conscious decision about how he was going to pursue. John was a keen student of the scriptures. And as a Jewish boy and then a young man, he would have been a keen student of the scriptures. He would have had them available to him. They would have been read at gatherings. It would have been part of, um, part of their culture. And he would have heard stories throughout the scriptures as they were read. And he would have heard of the bridegroom God in books throughout the whole Bible. In the book of Genesis, hearing of the bridegroom God, how Adam and Eve were joined in marriage. He would have heard of the story of Exodus and how God called out a people to a place in the desert to worship him. And God took a people as his own bride and made a marriage covenant with him at Mount Sinai. He would have heard through the prophets of Ezekiel and Isaiah and Hosea how they, a bridegroom God, passionate with love for his people. In Hosea, he takes an adulterous bride and calls him her own. In Song of Songs, we hear the desire of God's heart how he is ravished by his bride. In Ruth, the Redeemer God, who comes and makes all things right. And in Psalms, we hear of a bridegroom God who loves and pursues his people. This is what John's grown up with. This is the scripture that he's heard over and over again. And he's had this Holy Spirit revelation. That's my bridegroom God. That's how he loves He's encountered the heart of the bridegroom God and this describes the very core of who God is. It describes the emotions God has. It describes the desires that he has for relationship with his people. It describes his heart of passion and of loving kindness. It describes his heart of great tenderness and of great loyalty and in all these scriptures and throughout the whole Bible, from beginning to end, John only had up to, you know, he only had the whole, what we call the Old Testament. But John had stood in the face of God and he experienced the very heart of who God is. And he can now be confident in his identity because he's encountered the love of the bridegroom God. And now he stands here on the banks of the river and his disciples are saying, John, look, Jesus is getting more followers in you. They're leaving us and going to him. And John can stand there and confidently say, that bridegroom God, that one that we encountered throughout the whole scripture, this is now that man who is standing there on the bank and everyone is going to him. They should be going to him. This is the bridegroom God that has revealed himself from very creation and before that. And he's now standing there before me. Who am I not to send everyone running into his presence? The bride belongs to the bridegroom. 
my joy is complete because I see them running into the arms of their bridegroom. This is my ministry. This is what I'm here for. I'm here to point the bride to the bridegroom. So if they're going there, Jesus has revealed himself. He's not concerned about what he's doing himself. He's not concerned about his ministry or who's following him. He doesn't get caught up in comparison. He's anchored in God's love for him because he's been liberated from comparison. He's encountered the joy and the truth of who bridegroom God is. John can be firmly anchored in the affections and know the desire of the heart of God. And this is his one pursuit. His cry is, I want to hear his voice. My joy is to stand here and hear the voice of the bridegroom. I want to get out of the way so people aren't coming to look at me. They're coming to hear the voice of the bridegroom call them. God must increase and I must decrease. And this is God's very desire and his promise that the bride would be with the bridegroom. John had experienced the heart of the bridegroom and God and this wasn't done by mistake. I think this was a very deliberate a very deliberate act that didn't happen passively. And although the Holy Spirit may have originally revealed to John this, he made a very active daily choice of where he would fix his gaze and what would hold his attention. By the grace of God, I am not that scared young girl that I was 16 years ago. And pretty much just standing here with a microphone in my hand can testify to that because I'm not here because I'm doing anything in my own strength. But it's what because of how God's liberated me and it's because he answered a simple prayer of God, would you reveal yourself? Would you show yourself? Would you be real? I don't want to just read the words that are in that book and them have no effect These are words that bring life. And God answered that simple yes in my heart that I gave 16 years ago to sit before him on a regular basis. And he's answering that prayer and will continue to answer that prayer. I pray until the day I see him. But now fast forward to today. And I'm currently, I'm now a wife with a husband who sometimes works. (laughs) Travels away for work, and we have four abs- beautiful gifts of a children. I also work part time, and I have volunteer positions at both um, New Life Church and at, at Fremantle Christian College. And I praise God for the work that He did in my heart over the past sixteen years, because if He hadn't answered those simple cries for help. There would be, there are so many opportunities when comparison can rear its head and threatens to take over my obedience to God. What our family looks like as a wife and a mother, our family looks very different to most. We don't have any kind of regular stuff happening at home. Are my children doing good enough? Are they good enough at school? Do they know God? Can they quote scripture? Can they do what all the other kids are doing? I go to work. The girls I trained 10, 15 years ago are now my managers. 
when I come into different volunteer roles at church and at the school, the temptation can be to get tied down with what is said and the busyness that can come up, the requests that can come. You should be doing it like this. You don't do it like this person. You don't sound like them. But I'm here to tell you this morning that comparison is a lie. It is a lie from Satan to hold you back from obeying what God is asking you to do. And if we continue to live in that comparison, it ends up becoming an idol in our life because we end up putting more importance and more value on that comparison than on the truth of what God says about who he is and who we are in him. Once I get my stuff done, once I'm not busy, once I prove my worth, once my kids are at school full time, then I will study, then I will go to the prayer room, then I'll devote time to God. No, that's not okay. Jesus isn't an optional extra. He's the whole reason. And without him being the center, everything else becomes a distraction. And if my eyes are fixed on the distractions and the comparison, then that's what I end up anchored in. But when Jesus is the center, this part of my life is non-negotiable. It is unchanging. And when I get caught up in his gaze and centered on his will for my life and focused on his desire for me and his unending love, everything else falls away and doesn't matter. It becomes an optional extra because I want to know his heart for me. I don't want to sit in my comfy place and be passive. I want to be raptured by his heart and his love for me. And that doesn't happen by accident. And I feel greatly convicted this morning about my passivity to sit here in fear and make excuses. And that's not who God calls us to be. He calls us to know his great unending love for him. So when I experience how God feels about me, when the heart of bridegroom Jesus and his desire for a relationship with me, someone so unworthy, but yet he makes a way. And when I know that I am moved with one glance of his eye, when I know he moves with one simple prayer, one humble cry from my heart, when this becomes my reality, I can't help but say yes out of a heart of gratitude and obedience to who he is. Because I know his love and therefore I know he is trustworthy and I can give him everything. And this is what fuels us, whatever God asks us to do or be. It influences how we parent our kids. Not just for those people who are parents, but for those in this room who are godmothers, who are grandparents, who are aunts, uncles, teachers, who have any connection with any kid in this community, teachers at the school. You come here on a Thursday and lead New Life Kids. You're at youth on a Friday night. My aim as a parent, I can't get my kids to have a revelation of Jesus. That's out of my control. But if my heart is overflowing with the goodness of who he is and I have experienced him, 
how can I not pass this on to them? How can they not see the goodness of God in my life? My responsibility then becomes, how do I get my kids in front of Jesus so they can see him and experience him the same way that he has revealed himself to me? How do I interact and lead in my D1 group? How do I interact with my friends, with my family, in my workplace, with the conversations I have at school and at church, if my heart isn't on fire and burning for Jesus because he's revealed his love for me, then I have nothing to give, absolutely nothing. I can be thrown around like a boat in the storm. If I'm anchored in comparison and not anchored in the truth of who God is, then anything that comes across my path can overwhelm. It's like a boat that's not anchored in a harbour. The storm comes and the waves overwhelm and it drowns. But when I am anchored... And who God is, just like John is, when life happens, when challenges rise up, when we are tempted, and we will be, it's not an optional extra. If our habit is to find shelter in the love of our bridegroom God and have his affection wash over us, to gaze upon his loving kindness and to feel the tenderness of his whisper to us, to hear him call us his beloved, to hear him say, I know I've fallen short, but how God is so moved with one glance of our eye towards him. We are the bride and Jesus is our bridegroom. And this is no ordinary marriage that Jesus is inviting us into. We are pursued by a bridegroom who has such a desire for his bride that he paid the ultimate price. He could have paid with gold or silver. Even we know heaven's gates are made of precious gems and all that wasn't worthy of him purchasing a bride. The only thing that he could give was his very own blood. It's the ultimate price and it's something that no one can take away. This earth can tarnish gold and silver and thieves can come and steal precious gems. But no one can take away that precious sacrifice that he gave for you, this bridal price. I was listening to a talk by Dana Candler. She's a um, teacher at IHOP. And this quote, (laughs) this quote got me and I haven't been able to leave it. And she says... A bride is usually chosen for her beauty, her wealth, and her uprightness, none of which we are. Yet Jesus gave himself for us in our deformity as though for one of great beauty. And in this state, he takes us, he washes us, and he arrays us in his own splendor. All the while, and from start to finish, he calls us beautiful, desired, and pure. Only the broken get the bridegroom. He doesn't ask us to be strong, but to lean hard. He chose me in spite of my lack. And though my love is weak and immature, 
It is real and it is beautiful to him. Do you know? Do you have head knowledge? Or has your heart been changed? Do you know that you are desired and you are loved by a bridegroom God? Not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. And this is how God feels about you. This is how Jesus feels about you and you can't do anything to change that. He states in his word that he is coming back for a pure and spotless bride. Not because I strived for anything. Not because I ticked the boxes. Not because I, I checked off a tick list and fulfilled what I promised to do, but because he's going to fulfill what he promised to do. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got to do with my yes out of obedience to who he is. And this is who Jesus wants you to know he is this morning. Do you know his desire for you? Do you know how his heart bursts with love for you? And when you know this, you can't help but pour out everything you have and give it up for the sake of him. The only choice we have this morning, when Jesus reveals who he is, is how we respond to him. How are you going to position yourself to encounter bridegroom Jesus? It doesn't happen passively. You need to make a daily choice. And these are the two things that I believe are essential for being obedient to who Jesus is asking us to be. Number one, block out non-negotiable time in your day to spend time with Jesus, to gaze upon him and not just to talk to him, but to actually listen he has so much he wants to reveal and say to you. Are you listening to what he is saying? And to surround yourself with others who are pursuing him also. Ones who can champion you on. Ones who hold you accountable to what you have promised to do. Who meet you in the prayer room and say, hey, you didn't show up. What's the deal with that? Hey, how have you been going in your Bible this week? Hey, how's your prayer life going? Hey, let's pray together. How have you experienced Jesus this week? Share it with me because I want to know the journey you're going on. Let's do it together. Only the broken get the bridegroom. Don't wait until you feel ready, till you've got everything sorted out, till all your ducks are in a line, till you've ticked all the boxes, till you think you've achieved enough that God's going to say, well done, now you can come on board till Jesus comes back and says, well done. You did everything I asked. Now I will love you. He doesn't work like that. He loved you before you're even a glint in your parents' eye and there's nothing you can do to change that. So if you feel broken, if you feel like you have nothing, that's a fantastic place to be because Jesus came for you like that. He came for you like that. Jesus came for the sick and the broken do you feel like you are weighed under comparison? Does fear overwhelm you? Like you can't do anything good enough and you'll never measure up. The good news is we all are. And Jesus came for broken people like us. 
He came to claim us as his own, to wash us in streams of living water that we may be cleansed and call us his beloved. There is no other love like this. The only way to be anchored and liberated by the love of God is to make room for him. There is no other love like this. And Jesus is holding out his hand and he's saying, will you take it and come away with me? His desire is for you. God is offering it to you and all you have today is respond with a yes. And once you've experienced his desire for you, everything else falls away. And this is the joy that we have. This is the joy that John experienced. I don't care what everyone else thinks. You can take it all. I've experienced the bridegroom and no one can take that away from me. So I ask you again this morning, are you anchored and liberated by the love of God? Or are you crippled by comparison? I believe there's people who are in both boats so to speak. And I know that God's heart and his desire, if you feel stuck in the cycle of comparison and you feel stuck and you can't get out of it and you can't take your gaze off earthly things and the distractions that surround you, God wants to make that happen for you. His desire is to have that relationship with you and all you have to do is say yes. And now you've heard that Jesus loves you. I believe he wants a response. And I'm not going to ask for anything big. This is between you and Jesus. But if you need liberating this morning, if you want to be anchored in the love of Jesus for you. Jesus wants to make this known to you. This is how he wants to reveal himself to you. So I'm going to pray, and if this is your response, you talk to Jesus about it. Hold out your hands and receive what he has for you. Lay down the comparison. You don't need it. It's too heavy and it's too bulky. Lift up his His love for his yoke, his light. Jesus our response this morning is we love you and we are so grateful that you pursued us first that you started the conversation and you will not finish it until we are with you Jesus we are so grateful that your desire is that you would have a bride with you who is pure and spotless. We thank you, Jesus, that you make a way for this. That it doesn't matter what we've done, how your heart is moved with one yes from us. Jesus, I ask this morning that you would take this weight of comparison off us this one that weighs us down, that tosses us to and fro. Lord, we want to be anchored in you and your love. So we ask Jesus, would you come? 
And would you look at us face to face? Would you come and reveal yourself? Your eyes of burning fire of love for us. Your heart that overflows with desire. Your tender, loving kindness. There is no love like you, Jesus. There is no love like you. Jesus, come and wash us and make us clean, I ask. We are so grateful for who you are, the God of love, our loving bridegroom God. Continue to reveal yourself to us, we ask.